Hello, and welcome to another episode of Clark Hill's Credit Eco to Go, Curbside Thought Leadership for Financial Services. My name is Joanne Needleman, and I am a partner at Clark Hill, as well as a member of the firm's banking and financial services practice group. Our guest today is John Barrickman, president of New Horizons Financial Group, a financial services industry consulting firm nationally recognized as an expert in the areas of comprehensive, comprehensive credit risk management, credit process, loan process formation, asset quality rating frameworks, risk-based pricing, and lender development. A former bank CEO with insightful real-world experience, John is an engaging professional presenter with unique insights on industry and market trends based on his breadth of experience and understanding of banking as a business in an ever-changing environment. John, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure. Uh, before we get started, can you talk a little bit about New Horizons Financial Group and some of the issues that you're working on now? Yes. Uh, the, form, the firm was formed in 1991. Uh, my partner and I, uh, as you pointed out, focus on risk management issues facing banks. Uh, we have a project right now where we're doing a loan policy rewrite for a bank. Uh, we're also working with a bank that is implementing uh, a new software package to expedite the uh, processing of loans, an end-to-end system. Uh, my primary focus with the firm is uh, seminars, workshops, so working with banks, bank holding companies, state banking associations, graduate schools of banking, uh, domestically and internationally, where I address all aspects of uh, credit risk management uh, with a particular focus on commercial lending and commercial real estate lending. Well, I think then I've gotten the right person on the podcast today. <laughs> Thanks so much. So John, what do you, what do you see are the, are the market trends right now? What, what, what is going on in the financial services industry? I have some ideas, but I really would love to hear your perspective. Well, obviously, the biggest challenge facing the industry right now is uh, dealing with the impact of COVID-19. Uh, and uh, that has created uh, challenges uh, for the net interest margin for banks, uh, loan demand outside of uh, PPP. And uh, obviously, uh, how do you uh, adjust to uh, distance commuting and uh, protect your staff, meet the needs of the customer, uh, and uh, do it cost effectively. And banks are of all sizes are struggling with those issues. And as we come out of the lockdown, uh, obviously banks are having to uh, adjust uh, how they uh, approach the business of banking. Uh, whether it, and uh, that means uh, changing delivery systems with customers, uh, changing customer expectations, protecting employees, uh, and uh, obviously uh, bigger issues like cybersecurity and so forth. And uh, overlaying all of it is the big question mark, and that is uh, what's going to happen to portfolio credit quality? 
Uh, obviously, uh, the impact of PPP, uh, a very aggressive monetary policy, uh, government stimulus has sort of masked the impact of uh, PPP on consumers and on uh, businesses and in turn banks. There, there certainly is a lot going on, John. Uh, thank, you, th- thank you for putting that all in a little bit of a nutshell. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit um, with all this disruption that banks are having because of COVID. Uh, regulators have been busy, and um, none, none more so, in my opinion, than I think the OCC, not only during COVID, but really in the last year. Uh, the OCC really has started to flex its muscle in very different ways than what you traditionally think the OCC uh, is supposed to do. And can we talk a little bit about that? And do you agree? And, and where do you see the OCC really trying to, to put a footprint uh, on the financial services industry? Oh, I absolutely agree. The OCC has been uh, much more aggressive than the other regulatory agencies. And uh, candidly, it's out of necessity. Uh, the OCC uh, is uh, seeing a smaller universe of banks. Uh, They uh, rely on examination fees uh, for funding the OCC. And uh, so they're trying to figure out how they're going to be relevant in the 21st century. And obviously, uh, the logical target's fintech, uh, because uh, that uh, we and that's been accelerated by COVID-19 as people move to online banking and so forth. So my personal feeling is the OCC is trying to create a symbiotic relationship uh, between the regulator and the fintech institutions and address issues that are facing both of them. Uh, For fintech, the big issue is uh, national licensing, regulation, and supervision, because right now they have to deal on a state-by-state basis and get approval of state uh, regulators and uh, licensing in order to do business in that state. Uh, The Achilles heel of fintechs is funding because they don't have access to demand deposits. So uh, they're seeking a consistent funding source uh, obviously, operating across multiple states that have uh, different usury requirements, uh, they're looking for a consistent or uniform interest rate environment. Mm-hmm. And uh, for many, like PayPal and Square, uh, they want access to the Fed, the payment system. Right. Well, the way you can do that is become a regulated financial institution. So uh, those are the issues facing fintech. In turn, the issues facing the uh, OCC are the rapid changes in the financial services industry. And uh, one of their charges is to protect the safety and soundness of the uh, financial system. In order to do that, uh, they've got to be a primary regulator and they've got to be actively involved in uh, the uh, primary asset generation in the industry and also uh, be involved in managing and monitoring the deposit function of banks and the payments function. Those are the three primary functions of banks. Um, A second issue is protecting preemption. Uh, The state banking regulators are aggressively attacking preemption through the court system. And that's been the hallmark and uh, the value of the uh, uh, national bank charter since its inception. Uh, 
So obviously they want to try to remain the regulator of choice for the financial services industry. And as I alluded, uh, state banking regulators are becoming much more aggressive and they're trying to develop a unified approach to uh, licensing and supervision through their multi-state licensing system initiative. There are currently 27 states involved. And then more uh, the, uh, and more recently, the OCC is uh, trying to uh, facilitate banks' ability to be relevant uh, in the 21st century, taking advantage of new technologies uh, such as uh, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, blockchain, and so forth. And then, as I mentioned in the inception, uh, while nobody's articulated this to me, I think they're very concerned about how they're going to fund their operations going forward if the banking industry continues to shrink through consolidation and uh, movement more and more to fintech. So I think they're trying to establish themselves uh, to address those issues. You know, and so many of the many of these initiatives that you just talked about were started by the former commissioner. Uh, of the OCC, who was Joe Otting. Um, and, you know, he, he put forth, he really, his big initiative with a special purpose national charter. Uh, he left, and now we have an acting OCC commissioner. Um, and so it, I think it's still a wild card. At this point, I don't know whether they're going to make him a permanent um, commissioner, but we do have an election coming up. And just from your perspective, if there is an election and a change in uh, administration in the White House, um, do you see the current uh, OCC acting commissioner being there? Um, or will there be somebody else? And that will it change the dynamics of the OCC? Well, uh, as you mentioned, the outcome of the election is, is the primary concern. Uh, a second uh, initiative may be that the Senate tries to confirm uh, and uh, before the uh, new administration takes over and then of course the committee uh, the uh, uh, will have a five-year term which will provide right. some insulation uh, but uh, if that doesn't happen uh, my personal feeling is he's going to be gone. Do you think a new um Biden appointed um, commissioner will 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 continue with these initiatives and and moving forward to to um, having the OCC be the regulator of choice for fintechs. Would that be something uh, a Biden administration would do? No, no. And the reason is uh, the the primary opposition to the OCC has come from the states. Right. Come right. from New York. It's come from Colorado. There've been a plethora of states who have uh, made every attempt through the courts to stymie the OCC's effort, and that's caused them to uh, take alternative approaches. As you well know, uh, the uh, special purpose uh, national bank was shot down in the courts. Obviously, it's being appealed. Uh, so uh, the the OCCs had to resort to a piecemeal approach to try to accomplish the objectives that we've talked about. And their initial effort uh, focus was on the challenge to preemption uh, as a result of Madden versus Midland funding. And the 
uh, OCC's response to that was the valid when made rule. Right. right. And, and so that was intended to address several of the issues I just talked about, the challenge to preemption, facilitate the funding for fintech, and uh, as noted, the uh, primary concerns of the OCC is uh, the safety and soundness of the financial system. So uh, by uh, uh, the valid when made rule, they were able to continue a source of liquidity and portfolio diversification for, uh, for banks, particularly community banks, which enhances safety and soundness. And not coincidentally, uh, reinforces the value of uh, a national charter. What do you think would happen if there is this vacuum um, and there is a change uh, of administration and then ultimately a change at the OCC, do you see another regulator filling that vacuum? Uh, Potentially the FDIC because the FDIC has followed the OCC's lead with valid when made. Uh, One of the big holes in valid when made was they didn't uh, address the true lender issue. So uh, the OCC came back with the true lender rule and uh, the FDIC has indicated uh, they're going to follow the OCC's lead and adopt a, almost a mirror image of true lender as they've done with valid with made. Uh, and again, uh, that uh, addresses uh, issues that I raised earlier in the context of the Fed. I mean, not the Fed, but the OCC and uh, FinTechs. What advice, you know, for, for companies who are FinTech, who are providing financial services, who want to potentially uh, partner with banks. Um, is there any advice, you know, you, you indicated in your, in your opening that you're working with a software platform right now. Um, what advice do you give them in, in making them aware of what the regulatory um, environment looks like and what the pitfalls may be? What are some of the things that you, you would say to those clients? Well, obviously, the, the biggest concern that uh, fintechs have and, and uh, pursuing a national bank charter is uh, the uh, consumer uh, requirements that come with accepting deposits and making loans. And uh, many fintechs uh, do not want to have to assume that burden and uh, the regulatory cost associated with it. Now, if you want to truly take advantage of the opportunities uh, in the marketplace today, you have to get a, a bank charter. And Varl Bank is the best example of that. They got a national bank charter, but you also see all the peril. The peril took them three years. It cost them $100 million. They had to capitalize it with $104 million. And uh, they ended up having to purchase uh, the accounts of the 2 million users that were their partner, the Bancorp Bank. So uh, that that's the biggest challenge. It's also the biggest challenge facing the OCC uh, because uh, they're, they're being challenged uh, because it's the perception is as they try to expand their powers, it's anti-consumer uh, right. and uh, it's going to ad- adversely impact uh, access to credit and so forth. So uh, 
they're, they're trying to dance around that by pursuing initiatives that don't either involve making loans or taking deposits, which is why they're turning their emphasis to the payments charter. Right, right. The payments charter is interesting. Right now, it is kind of an initiative. Uh, there hasn't been any kind of formalized rule or proposal, but it's it's an idea. Um, as, assuming that all stays the same uh, at the OCC, do you see that moving forward as a priority in 2021? Absolutely. Yeah. And the reason is uh, this is a back door to get into a special purpose national bank. Uh, they got shot down before uh, because uh, accepting loans and, and uh, I mean, accepting deposits and making loans. And this is a way to uh, basically provide a value uh, to a key part of the financial services industry, and that's payments. Um, it uh, involves a, a, a function that's critical to banking. It ranks right up there with loans and deposits, but it avoids all of the, the issues uh, that come with making loans and deposit and taking deposits. The problem is uh, the objections are already starting to come up saying that uh, the OCC is not empowered to charter uh, an institution that doesn't accept deposits. That under the, under the banking laws, to be considered a bank, you've got to accept deposits. I think they're going to continue to push it because uh, obviously it's it's targeted at uh, the fact that any money transmitter today has to be uh, licensed in each state. Um, some of the states are exporting their licensing requirements uh, to other states uh, if an, an entity that is licensed in their state does business in another state. Yeah. Even though they may not have a physical presence, and yeah. then um, and then of course the big three are are PayPal, Stripe, and Square, and and they control a huge part of the payments uh, system today. So uh, the, the OCC says if we're going to be relevant, if our responsibilities protect the safety and soundness of the financial system, uh, we got to be involved in where the payment system is going. They got to follow the money. <laughs> and they got to follow the money. Incidentally, that provides another source of funding for the OCC. And of course, uh, the lure, uh, in addition to uh, nationwide, uh, uh, basically, uh, payment transmitter license, is uh, the promise of access to the Fed. Yep, that's right. That's right. Well, John, I can listen to you all day. I learned so much from you uh, in, in giving us snippets of uh, what's going on in the financial services world. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast and uh, sharing some of your thoughts. But before I let you go, um, on Credit You Go To Go, we ask uh, our guests, uh, we ask them two questions. 
and uh, I hope you'll, uh, you'll, you'll play along as well. Um, so first of all, in keeping with our to-go theme, I ask all my guests about their favorite takeout experiences while they were sheltering in place. And I've heard the gamut of Uber Eats and uh, my order got lost and all kinds of great stories of, of, of what people had to do uh, in, in this time. And I was wondering if you could share an experience with us. Uh, I'll try. <laughs> you got to remember, I live on an island, uh, so there, uh, there were limited choices during the lockdown because many of the restaurants here uh, couldn't adapt to uh, takeout. Right. Uh, and uh, so I, I guess the, the best experience for us that's come as a result of this is an appreciation of the fact that uh, we fix excellent meals at home. We've got an excellent selection of wines and uh, why go out? <laughs> and, Perfect story, John. Perfect story. Uh, you're very fortunate. Wine usually fixes everything. That's so I've heard. <laughs> so I've heard. Wonderful. Uh, and finally, John, in consideration of you coming onto the podcast, um, Credit Eco to Go would like to make a small donation on your behalf to a local or regional charity, could be a food bank, could be an organization that's helping displace workers because of the pandemic um, and because of the shutdown. And do you have an organization in mind? Yes, uh, we have a lo local organization that does all of the things you've just mentioned. Uh, the name of the organization is Barnabas. And uh, I appreciate your offer to make a contribution. And I know they'll appreciate the contribution uh, because they do great work here on the island and in the county. And what island are you on? Amelia Island. Amelia Island, lovely. Lovely, lovely. Well, John, again, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. Um, many thanks to our loyal Credit Eco listeners, Credit Eco to Go listeners, for tuning in and logging on. All episodes of Credit Eco to Go can be found on Buzzsprout and Spotify. Information on our podcast can be found also found on my clarkhill.com bio page, as well as my LinkedIn page. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have ideas for future show topics, please email us at creditecotogo at clarkhill.com. Thank you, be well, and stay safe. This podcast is intended for general education and informational purposes only and should not be regarded as either legal advice or a legal opinion. You should not act upon or use this publication or any of its contents for any specific situation. Recipients are cautioned to obtain legal advice from their legal counsel with respect to any decision or course of action contemplated in a specific situation. Clark Hill PLC and its attorneys provide legal advice only after establishing an attorney-client relationship through a written attorney-client engagement agreement. This recording does not establish an attorney-client relationship with any recipient.